Welcome to Machine Learning. In um, 2012, I wrote an article explaining why some U.S. companies claim that they can only compete for 7% of the world's uh, reserve. It was The information was derived from an article in the Wall Street Journal. The oil industry executives appearing before the Senate I think that the following contains some information that most of us are not likely to have thought of. I would highlight the significant passages, but they would be darn near the entire piece. Early today, the Senate Judiciary Committee summoned top executives from the petroleum industry for what Chairman Pat Lee thought would be a politically profitable Inquisition. Lee and his compadres showed up ready to blame the American oil companies for the high prices of gasoline, but the event wasn't as satisfactory as the Democrats had hoped. The industry lineup was formidable. Uh, Robert Malone, chairman, president of BP America, John Hoffenmeister, president of Shell Oil Company, Peter Roberts, vice president of the board of Chevron. So it goes through all the list. Um, not surprisingly, so they had Exxon there. They had um, Mobile, Conoco, Chevron, Shell. Okay, those are the big ones. And we all recognize as oil companies. One theme that emerged from the hearing was surprisingly small role played by American oil companies in the global petroleum market. And that's the thing I've said is that the United States um, – Oil plays a small percentage role on the global petroleum market. John Lowe pointed out, I cannot overemphasize the access issue. Access to resources is severely restricted to the United States and abroad, and the American oil industry must compete with the national oil companies who are often much larger and have support of their governments. We can only compete directly for 7% of the world's available reserves while about 75% is completely controlled by national oil companies and is not accessible. That is the heart of the problem, is that the state-owned enterprises uh, control most of the oil. Stephen Simons amplified, ExxonMobil is the largest U.S. oil and gas company, but we can account for only 2% of the global energy production only 3% of the global oil production, only 6% of the global refining capacity, and only 1% of the global petroleum reserves. With respect to reserves, we rank 14th. Government-owned national oil companies dominate the top spots. For an American company to succeed in this competitive landscape, and go head-to-head with the huge government-backed national oil companies. It needs financial strength and scale to execute massive, complex energy projects requiring enormous long-term investments. And that was, and the way I interpret that is that is one of the problems with the oil industry is that the mining and drilling and extract processes are expensive. They do require lots of capital up front. 
um, large loans, and then when it takes a long time for de development to occur, and so once development occurs, they can only compete on a small percentage of the global market oil because of the large national oils companies in countries that uh, dominate it. So there's basically a monopoly is what um, the article is saying. To simply maintain our current operations and make needed capital investments, Exxon um, Mobil spends nearly $1 billion each day. Because foreign companies and governments control the overwhelming majority of the world's oil, most of the price you pay at the pump is the cost paid by American oil to acquire crude oil from someone else. And that's the logic of, of our participating in the global market is why don't we pay local extraction prices? And towards the end of the article, um, Hatch will say that point out that uh, the oil in Colorado, Utah, and Wyoming could be extracted for about $30 a barrel, and we could produce our own um, gasoline and significantly drop the price of our fuel cost uh, locally. But the political processes are blocking it. So again, we see political processes interfering with business processes and creating uh, artificially high um, prices. Last year, the average price in the U.S. Of a, of a gallon of regular unleaded gasoline was $2.80. Today, it's close to uh, $5.30. On the average in 2007, approximately 58% of the price reflected the amount paid for crude oil. Consumers paid for crude oil as we do. So we have to buy our crude oil, we import crude oil on the, at the uh, uh, national or global price for crude, which is about $114 a barrel. And that's determined by London prices based on these national oil companies' um, recommendation for prices. Consumers pay for crude oil as we do. Um, of the 2 million barrels per day of Exxon refined in 2007 here in the United States, 90% were purchased from others. Again, so 90% has been purchased from the, these national oil companies. Another theme of today's testimony was that if anyone is gouging customers through high prices of gasoline, it is the federal and state governments, not American oil companies. On the average, 15% of the cost of gasoline at the pump goes for taxes, while 4% represents oil company profits. These figures were repeated several times, but strangely, not a single Democrat senator proposed relieving consumer anxieties about gas prices by reducing taxes. The last theme that was sounded repeatedly was Congress' responsibility for the fact that American companies have access to so little petroleum. Shell John Hoffitzmeiser explained eloquently, while all oil importing nations buy oil at global prices, some, notably India and China, subsidize the cost of oil products to their national nation's consumers 
feeding the demand for more, more oil despite record prices. They do this to speed economic growth and to ensure a competitive advantage relative to other nations. Meanwhile, in the United States, access to our own oil and gas resources has been limited for the last 30 years, prohibiting companies such as Shell from exploring, developing resources for the benefit of American people. Okay, so the way I interpret that is they're saying that high taxes account for a lot of the price in the in the gasoline and that um, they're not competitive against global companies from India and China because um, of subsidies. So they're basically blaming um, uh, that they their competitors have an unfair advantage because of subsidies and they can't they can't seem to compete uh, or make money because they have such a lot, a small profit margin of 4%. So I don't know if I, I necessarily buy into that 4%. That's a pretty good operation margin, but they are claiming, well, we got, we only have a 4% operation profit margin and we have all these long-term expensive um, projects. We don't know what their payout will be until we drill and extract it and get that oil out. So in some ways, they're kind of hedging. It sounds like they're hedging against uh, the future and uncertainty of the future. But they've been playing this game for a long time. And um, they do go in cycles of boom and bust. You can see that in their stocks. Uh, for, for, for the early part of 2020, they were in a boom cycle, looked really good. Energy sector was climbing record level dividends there were uh, lots of uh, buyback on the on the stocks and um, you know I was looking at Exxon EOG um, and there's and the dividend payouts and their stock price climbing and it looked good volatility was low growth was strong but they also right now because of uh, uncertainty in the market there's been some pullback and and uh, uh, possibly some disruptions that are for some reason are causing shifts in their price well session says I agree it's not a free market and that's the big problem oil's not on a free market according to the Department of Interior 62% of all onshore federal lands are off limits to oil and gas development with restrictions of 90% of all federal lands. Okay, so no new drilling. We know that that's kind of the, the trend that's been going. So they're going to have to maintain the existing reserves and pull oil from there. And if there's any decrease in the existing reserves, then oil prices are going to go up. Um, we have an outer continental Continental Shelf Moratorium on the Atlantic Ocean, on the Outer Continental Shelf Moratorium on the Pacific Ocean, and an Outer Continental Shelf Moratorium on the East Gulf of Mexico. Congressional bans on onshore oil and gas activities in specific areas of the Rockies and Alaska. Yeah, well, we know that there's oil up in Gull Island, Alaska, but there's no way to get it down here. But what about the oil and its um, 
soft, it's uh, sweet crude in Montana, Wyoming, Utah, and Colorado. Huge amounts. And those, you know, what would it take to, to start developing uh, from those regions and reduce this oil crisis that we have? Alaska and even congressional ban on doing analysis of the resource potential for oil and gas in the Atlantic. Pacific and Eastern Gulf of Mexico, the Argonne National Laboratory did a report in 2004 that identified 40 specific federal policy areas that halt, limit, delay, or restrict natural gas projects. So basically you're, you're getting jammed up by political processes here. Um, so basically they had this interview with Hatch and he's gone now, but, uh, and I didn't particularly like Hatch when he was in power. I thought he did a lot of talking, but, uh, he was in, uh, chairman of the ways and means he was in charge of, he was one of the most powerful committees in Congress. And he did so little in my opinion for, uh, energy independence, but he goes on to, to highlight some of the things that he was struggling with. Okay, he says he wants to talk about Utah, Colorado, and Wyoming. And he says, is it fair to say that they're not considered part of America's 22 billion of proven reserves? Hatch said no, by, but the experts agree that there's between 800 billion to almost 2 trillion barrels of oil that could be recovered. Yeah, and, and over a decade ago, I was reading that and I was also reading how Hatch had, in the Ways and Means Committee, had um, voted not to develop those areas because of environmental concerns. And he wanted to know about impacts and uh, for, for doing um, oil extraction there. So he was part of the problem along the way. And now, at, when there's a big crisis, as a politician, he's a talking head and going out there and saying... Uh, we need to develop this oil, which he knew all along that there was all that oil. And so he says it could be recovered at somewhere between 30 and $40 a barrel. And that, that is true. Even in my analysis uh, in that time, it was said to be 30 to $40 a barrel. And in the Montana area, it's sweet crude. It's better than the uh, Middle Eastern oil. Well, then Hatch then says, well, uh, I guess that's what I'm saying, though, is that if it started to develop oil shell in those three states, we could do it with a framework of over $100 a barrel and make a profit. But then he goes on to say the Democrats have blocked him and they just can't, can't do anything and it's just awful. Well, then the final, the commentary says, well, as I said in my opening statement, I think that public policy constraints on the supply side in this country are a disservice to the American consumer. The committee Democrats attempt no response. They know that they are largely responsible for the current high price of gasoline, and they want the prices to rise even further. So again, he's just kind of whining about uh, the political process, but nothing can be said. And that's how the article ends. Uh, but as you look at the 
as you look at what Hatch said, I mean, in some ways, was he kind of bragging about the fact that there is two, 800 billion to 2 trillion barrels of oil in the U.S.? Are we going to become the new Saudi Arabia? In other words, uh, you look at Saudi Arabia and the, their financial crisis that they're in, um, you know, in the Middle East and, and the instability that's over there and the potential for abandonment of the Middle East, which would then put pressure on Israel to defend itself because of uh, failing economies in Middle Eastern oil, would then uh, the U.S. become the next powerhouse for energy exports. And for a long time, we were net positive in oil exports. So here Trump, or not Trump, but uh, Hatch is highlighting this huge golden uh, goose who hasn't really started to lay golden eggs yet. But if it were to, um, he's kind of saying, you know, we could be the next energy center of the world. We could provide all the oil for the world. Um, we just need to develop it. 